0: assalamu alaikum welcome to episode 48 of the millionaire muslim podcast this is a podcast by myself muslim and ibrahim the guys over at islamicfinanceguru.com which if you've not had a chance to check out yet then you absolutely should because i'm sure you'll love all the content that's on there. It's a podcast and a website all about halal investing personal finance and entrepreneurship and today's episode is a very very exciting one indeed it's all about the secret investment that savvy investors Make millions from. So, Ibrahim, what is the secret investment that savvy investors
1: are making millions from? Uh, it's a very, very interesting uh, topic for me personally because um, I think, you know, with investments, it's not uh, something that you can get properly excited about a lot of the time. So, like, even, you know, investing in a property or investing in a, you know, like a BP or a Shell. You, you feel quite removed from the whole experience. Yeah, and quite a
0: faceless uh, experience, isn't
1: it? Yeah, exactly. And, and actually, the, the journey of a company starts so much earlier than that. I mean, the IPO, when the company lists on the stock market, is actually the exit for most people um, yeah. who've been with a company for a long time. And that's where 99% of the profits are made, right? Yeah. And after yeah. that, you know, there's a bit of, you know, the profits are still there. But, you know, the thousand times returns that you can make when a successful company IPOs um, Mm. the 10, 20, 50,000 times returns when the really successful one's IPO, uh, we miss out on. So in other words, it's investing in startups.
0: Very good. Very good. And in terms of why startup investing is such a big deal, I mean, you talked about some of the numbers there, but typically when we talk about startup investing, we're talking you know, for the for the avoidance of any doubt whatsoever. We're talking about investing in those really, really early stage companies, two guys in a bedroom kind of thing with an idea, trying to get some traction out on the market, trying to build something that's really, really exciting, but really, really young and risky at the same time. And the potential that we're talking about are, you know, things like Uber and Netflix and all these other startups that are now part of everyday life for us now. And if you look at some of the returns that those guys have made, the early investors in those companies have made, it's absolutely astronomical, isn't
1: it? It's absolutely mad. I mean, if, uh, you know, even if you'd put, I think I was looking at a recent one by where, who had listed, uh, it was one of the, one of these big ones that I'd listed. And so someone had put in 10,000, 20,000, they were looking at, like a hundred million, hundred and fifty million return. Wow, that is just that is just absurd. Like I mean, mm-hmm. I when I invest in startups, I put in five, ten thousand. Um, so you know, and if one of my startups takes off, then you know, I I'll be a happy man. Um, mm. but but actually, you know, rowing back from all this kind of, you know, just the money side of it. I mean. It might be interesting for listeners to understand why why we do it personally so why do ifg islamic finance guru why do we do this um
0: so well for us our resource is all about empowering the muslim community isn't it and if you think about one of the key tenets of being able to actually achieve empowerment and uh status i guess in in society a lot of that is actually economic and how do you achieve a lot of that economic power and, and wealth, well, a lot of it is actually entrepreneurship. You think about the some of the most influential people across the globe today and how they've enabled that ability to do that. It's people like Bill Gates with all his, you know, billions and doing various wonderful things with his foundation. And actually if we think about the Muslim community, what better way really to make a true and genuine impact than to empower Startups, so that we can enable people as a whole within the Muslim community.
1: Agreed, agreed, completely. And it's also about you know just getting that technology as well, right? So if if you think about it, who are the most kind of uh, powerful people in the world? It's the Googles and Facebooks and Amazons of the world, or maybe Mm. like you know the Ubers or the SpaceX or those kind of people who have the the IP, the intellectual property, the technology, on in their books, uh, mm. in their in their you know companies, and uh, I, I was visiting Zambia recently, and their overall total economy, I think, is something like twenty billion, and right. and I was just thinking that Google has about ten times that in just their own cash reserves or more possibly. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's just that's just mad. Like it, these companies are now. Far more powerful than most countries together, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's crazy. And so you know, imagine the impact that um, you know would have would result if the Muslim community um, was involved in this sort of thing. And we mm. could you know, really contribute technology that helps the world, like Google has, uh, but also um, you know it, it has a lot of impact in terms of um, you know cloud. So you know, Google has a, a a chair has a seat at the table when we're discussing important issues in the world uh, and you know people uh really rely on people like uh google, facebook amazon et cetera um, but morson, I wanted to touch upon what you know if you're coming in completely fresh as an angel investor, you've never done this sort of thing before. What are the kind of economics that you should be looking? At? I mean how many startups should you be investing in? How much should you be investing in startups? How does that side of things work? Good question.
0: It's a tough one, because if you um, remember, there was an episode that you did with um, Hussein Kanji of Hoxton Ventures. Um, I think it might be episode 17, but I can't remember exactly. Um, And he talks about the economics that a venture capital fund will think about. And actually, I don't think it's too dissimilar for an individual where what he talks about is how the fund will have an overall pot of money, and they'll make, um, you know, maybe eight to ten to ten investments or something, knowing full well that probably ninety percent of those are going to fail because startups, by their nature, are quite risky. And what you want with each investment that you make is the ability to make back the whole sum that you put into startups as a whole. So let's say, you know, you're a you're an average Joe. Um, you've got, you you know, you saved us some money, you've got maybe 10, 20 grand set aside, let's say 20 grand set aside to put into some companies. And realistically, probably not going to be able to invest less than 5K, I would say, into a startup. That probably means four startups that you can invest in. And what you're hoping with each of those is that, you know, yes, you probably are going to fail, but one of them is going to really take off um, and if it you you've got to be cognizant of the fact with these startups is that they are extremely risky. So it's not the sort of money that you're going to be you're not going to be throwing your pension at this sort of stuff. Let me put it that way. Um, you know, it, it's the kind of money that otherwise would kind of be sat around, not really doing much, and it can literally turn into hundreds of thousands, if not millions, if you if you spend it right. So. Realistically, ideally, you'd probably want about nine to 10 startups, but that might not be feasible, depending on the overall pot of money that you've got to put into it. But one of the things that we'll, you know, we'll talk about is the fact that you do get the benefit of um, tax breaks when it comes to investing in startups, because the government wants to encourage that kind of activity. So depending on what sort of stage you're investing into these startups, you can get between 30 to 50% back as a tax rebate. So even yeah. if you're putting in 10K, that might end up actually only costing you 5K. So or there's less, that to think less, about as
1: well. So, there's the, so you know, the, we're talking about these schemes called SEIS, EIS schemes, and these are really turbocharged, the, especially the UK investment scene, because, uh, you know, angel investment um, is such a lucrative thing from a tax perspective like so let's say you're I don't know a doctor and you're earning um, over 100,000 pounds you're paying a lot of money in tax Uh, if you invest let's say 10,000 pounds into a startup you will get if you invest in an SEIS approved startup uh, and every startup gets up to 150,000 pounds in SEIS money which means that up to 150,000 that's invested in it is SEIS approved and all the benefits of that apply so you know every startup pretty much will be SEIS approved and uh, what what that means is you put in 10,000 you get back 5,000 immediately in the first tax year from HMRC as a tax break Um, and and so your 10,000 investment is de-risked by 50% um, and then you have to hold it at least for three years and that's fine because you know you should be holding a startup for at least three to five you know possibly even more years uh, for for you to realize a return and then in the you know unfortunate circumstance that a startup might you know fail or go bankrupt or that sort of thing then you also have another extra 20 i think 20 to 30 percent hedge that hmrc will cover you for uh, in the case of it you know completely collapsing because that's again something they want to encourage um uh, you know startup investing through and that means that your 10,000 investment is actually really only, uh, you know, you're only putting at risk uh, possibly around 3,000 pounds, which is, you know, absolutely fantastic. And of course, you know, that is. given say, the upside. Exactly. And, it, and that isn't to say that, you know, you're uh, you are still putting in 3,000 pounds, right? You're still risking something. Um, but, you know, as Morsen is talking about, if you aim. So the way I approach it is that I aim to try and make uh, one startup investment per month for the next two years and that will give me a nice solid uh, 20, 20 or so startup investments in my uh, you know in my portfolio and, and I you know really try to do my due diligence and really try to increase the quality of the startup because you know they say 90% of startups fail but I think 90% of startups um, fail because a whole chunk of those startups aren't very good They don't have the right team behind them. We'll talk about, you know, what we look for in a startup ourselves in a bit. Uh, But if you can make a quality investment, then, you know, you're just significantly increasing your hit rate. It's like Hossein Kanji. um, He is possibly now one of Europe's uh, most successful startup investors at Hoxton. Uh, He was an early investor in Babylon Health, uh, the online GP company. He was an early investor in Deliveroo. Uh, he was an early investor in a whole bunch of companies that have now done fantastically well. Uh, and, um, you know, he uh, obviously has a fantastic hit rate. I think it was three out of 17 of his that did really well. So the, the key thing really is um, to have an overall economic strategy, which is, you know, uh, spread your risk, try and get a pool of startups together, but then also have a great deal flow uh, and have access to the best deals because that's where you're going to increase your percentage of you know being able to succeed. Um, but more I wanted to uh, talk a bit a bit about you know the journey of a startup, like the life cycle of a startup, mm. um, and what's like the difference between angel investing and venture capital investing, and you know what's a VC fund, or what's all this kind, of, what, I mean, what what's all this terminology that people chuck around?
0: Yeah, there is a bunch of terminology in this space, um, and you know it's like any. It's like any field. Law is a bit like that, as we know, where there's a bunch of terminology that actually just means pretty simple stuff. I remember when I started um, my training as a lawyer, um, someone said to me, you know, make sure that all the documents are executed. And I was like, what the hell does that mean? Executed? <laughs> <laughs> <I> mean,
1: <you're laughs> um, like, that's haram. I don't, I don't, yeah, bad.
0: exactly. We, we don't. We, I'm sure we don't allow execution in in this country. Um and it turns out that an executed document is just a signed document. Well, why can't we just say make sure all the documents are signed? <laughs> so there's always terminology when it comes to any industry.
1: Uh, and I'm uh, in because awesome, it's just too opportune a moment to um, not share this. Cool. So, as a kid, um, I you know I was quite religious as a kid, uh, doing hoops and all that, and uh, some kid, some guy who's a little bit older than me. Um, when I was playing cricket and my lo down my local cricket club, he was um he was asking me about um sex. Right. And uh and I was like, oh no, it's uh, we don't do it as Muslims, it's haram. <laughs> <laughs> you just couldn't believe it. It was like oh uh, <laughs> how does that work then?
0: That's like uh, how not to do that work. I know.
1: He was like, I'm, I'm, I ain't gonna become a Muslim if that's the case. But yeah, <laughs> back over to you um, after that.
0: Unbelievable. Right. Yeah. So yes, terminology. So there's always terminology when it comes to anything, and you know, now now that we've been in this uh, industry for a while, and you know, we hopefully we can help to demystify that. So let's start with what they call angel investing and you know, seed investing and VC investing. What is that? So angel investing. You know, angels typically, most people have heard of the term Angel because of Dragon's Den, and that is actually pretty accurate. So, Angel investors are typically individuals who are, you know, pretty rich. They know what's what. They know how to interrogate a business. They know what to look for. They've got some pretty good, uh, you know, they might even have a diligence team on their side. Um, but basically, they're just individuals with money that can invest. They are known as angels. Um, and I suppose they're known as angels because they're the ones that are taking probably the most risk because they tend to be coming in at the earliest possible point that a company is actually taking external investment and then you've got
1: vC and, investing and, and typically more so, how much is that like how much is an angel round? Oh it just
0: completely depends on the company um, so you might have some companies that do an angel round and it's only I don't know, 100k or something like that, Um, somewhere between 100 and 300k. Um, But, you know, equally, you might get an angel round that is more than that. Um, You know, you might have a company that has set aside, um, let's say, half a million or three quarters of a million um, and they, you know, it's too small to go out to a fund and they're just going to raise it from either one angel or two or three angels depending on who, who who they actually want and who they can actually get investment from. So, I would say, I think we've pretty much seen anything from 100k up to about, what, half a mil? Even
1: 50k for, for a couple of them. Um, yeah, all the yeah. way up to half a mil.
0: Yeah. So, I suppose before, I mean, I guess if you think about the investment stages in in cycles, so very typically, uh, I mean, let's just talk about the life cycle of a startup. So you'll typically have one or two people that will have an idea. They will initially, um, you know, some people make the mistake of getting investment very early, which is wrong in, in our opinion. Um, you should always try and get some sort of traction to prove that there is a demand for your product and that there is actually a product market fit for this thing. Um, now, once, you know, this person or these two people have got that product market fit, Typically, what they will do is they will say, right, to really scale this, we need 100 grand in the bank to really just go at it in the in the immediate term. And what they will tend to do at that point is go out to family and friends. So ideally, you've got a rich family uh, and you can just say, please can I have 100 grand because this is going to be you know, the next Uber or something. And daddy will say, here's 100,000 pounds, off you go. Um, in most scenarios, that is not the case, of course. So you kind of have to go around... Um, not just your family but also perhaps a wider family and some friends and it might be that if you know if you've got a bunch of you know let's say you're four or five years out of uni you should hopefully be able to call on let's say ten friends to invest five grand each um, and get 50k that way so that's typically the very very first point it's called a friends and family round and then after that hopefully the company's moved on and developed somewhat, more and they say actually you know what this is a real thing now we need another 300 grand and we're going to get that and that's typically where angel investing comes in so you know the company might reach out to some high net worth people and say please hey, can we have three hundred thousand pounds then you have um, or they might come to us or they might come to us indeed at that point um, and we can connect them up with some people that we know um, and then you have what's known as uh, a seed round the seed round can be, I don't know, what do you think typically the seed round uh, amounts are? I would say between
1: so half a mil up to
0: about two mil.
1: Uh so in my head it's seed round is basically like an angel round. Uh, yeah, they're not they're not dissimilar.
0: And I suppose you can kind of morph the two. It just depends on what the company decides to do. There's no exact hard and fast rules about this sort of stuff. Um yeah. but but yeah I, I would say then uh, a seed round and that might include some high net worth it might include some smallish funds um, probably typically about up to 2 or 3 million at this point in terms of actual cash investment and then after that you start going through you know terms that you guys might have heard of in the audience of so what they called series A series B and so on and so forth down the alphabet um, and each round of investment just gets the next letter in the alphabet so there's no hard and fast rule. Typically, you know, when it gets to series A stage, that's when you will start thinking about trying to reach out to some venture capital funds. The so venture capital funds are professional funds that have pools of money from investors. So we gave the example of Hussein Kanji at Huxton Ventures. So I think he started off with what was it a 60 million fund, Ibrahim?
1: Uh, well, initially he started off, I think, with his own money, and then uh, he raised a fund um, of, I think, in tens of millions. And okay. now, I think, their recent fund is worth around a hundred million or over a hundred million.
0: Okay, cool. So, let's say, let's say his first fund was, um, I don't know, thirty million. I'm not sure if it exactly was. Um, then that means that typically each ticket size, each investment that he made. I don't think he would have wanted it to be less than i don't know a million or two million or so because otherwise it just it's just a bit too small for it to be Mm. worthwhile so what that means is that at the series a stage you filter out which funds are going to be able to invest in you because for some you might be too small for some you might be too big so you have to think about it from that point of view and then you just go through um, your life journey uh, as a startup taking investment and using that money crucially to actually grow the company, you know, it's not money that goes into to buy your neck Lamborghini or something, it has to go into the company, and it's designed to spend on the company as an investment into the business to help make it grow. Um, and Ibrahim do you want to just talk a bit about, because I've talked about the cash investment into the company, mm. um, and we've talked about the various figures that we would look at at each stage, but how do valuations work at each stage, and also maybe if you could touch upon um, how how difficult it is, especially when you're new to this industry, to get over the fact that an idea is worth probably two or
1: three million. Yeah, yeah. So um, valuations are. So w- one thing to caveat all this by is to say that you know there's there's a startup company and then there's a lifestyle company, or there's a company that isn't really suited for external investment. So a lifestyle company would be someone who wants to set up, uh, you know, a, just a restaurant or a news agent, and doesn't want to like expand it or become, make a chain or anything like that. They just want to set up a company that does that thing and that's it. That's perfectly fine. Um, and, you know, you you might want external investment for that, but the kind of external investor you want for that would be different to what we're talking about here, which is startup funding for typically technology type companies or product type companies that really want to scale and want to get big. So the other thing is that, you know, startup investing is the kind of thing where, um, you know, you can make a 10, 20, 30 times return and you want to invest in companies that can do that. You don't want to invest in a a guy who's setting up a, I don't know, a local news agent or something like that, where there's definitely a hard cap on the value of your investment because that's a waste for you, because you only have a limited amount of money to put in. You want to put that money into something that has the potential to make a massive return. Yes, it's higher risk, but then the, the point is, and this is where the economics of it comes in, the point is that if you do 10 investments, and of that, five of them are these kind of two, ta- two times, three times investments, where you're not going to make a massive return, and five of them are going to be you know really high risk ones, then even if all five of your two to three times ones come off, and a couple of your... Um, I don't know. A couple of your um, other three, three or four of your other ones are duds, and one of your um, you know ten times returns ones comes off. Overall, because you know you're looking at it in the round, um, your ten investments will, over a course of ten years, make you probably less than three times return, and that's not good enough because uh, you know three times return should be something that you should aim for as a minimum from startup investing. Reason being that. You know if you just put your money into property or stock markets or something like that you're gonna make annually about eight to ten percent return and that compounded over ten years is about three times return for your money so that's what the, you know the, the golden number that you should be aiming at so drawing all that back now so the kind of companies you have you've got you know lifestyle companies you've got startup companies and then you've got companies that are startup companies but don't necessarily need equity investments into them so companies that are you know possibly not very Uh, you know they don't burn that much cash they don't necessarily need that much cash they don't need that much manpower so those companies you know it it might seem quite appealing to go for startup funding Uh, if you don't but if you don't need it don't take it because you're losing equity as a result but to actually answer your question Mossin, the kind of valuations we're looking at um, at seed round you're probably looking at anywhere between half a million to one and a half million Uh, if it's a really strong idea really strong team uh, that has experience executing this stuff then you're possibly looking at between two and three million uh, for the, you know, just at the idea stage and just that initial traction stage. And the reason why you can price it this high is because, you know, this, not, at this point, the value of it doesn't matter. On paper, it doesn't really, you know, in reality, it doesn't have any value because it's just, you know, an idea. Or it's just, you know, an embryonic company, but it's the potential that you're betting on. And um, the you know the, the idea is that you want to keep investors and founders with enough equity to keep everyone happy. So at seed stage, you're probably overall only looking to give away about fifteen to twenty five percent max of your uh, of your equity in the company. So because founders by the end of this you know this whole journey and the IPO sometimes find founders will walk away with just two five percent two to five percent of the company, which is you know, something they've worked on for 10, 15, 20 years sometimes. So the, that's the other thing that you need to think about. Like, you know, you want to invest in a company where the founder really has skin in the game and they're really incentivized to succeed. And in order for that to happen, in order for them to raise sufficient money to do that at this stage, this is the kind of valuation they need to start at. Um, and then valuations will go up. So at like C, uh, Series A kind of stage, you're wanting to probably raise, um, uh, you know, another hefty chunk of money let's say a million to two million, and you only wanna give away, uh, at this point, you're probably gonna be about 50% or less as a founder. Um, so there, from that, you can kind of work out the valuation that you'll be looking at. So you'll be looking at somewhere between the valuation of about um, you know two and a half million to about five, six, seven, eight million. Um, and then once you get into the series A, series B, like series C, serious money, then you're probably going to be looking at a valuation of something like 10 to 30 million uh, and then it just keeps on going up and you, you know you'll start raising more and more money and as a result you need to have your valuation as higher to give away a relevant amount of equity for that. Um, mm. But Morsin, what do we you know drawing it all back now what do we actually look for in a company when we're investing in a company? Very good question um, it's something that we've I mean actually what, what do IFG do in all this as well you we probably should explain you know what yeah let's
0: let's touch on that um so before we get into that i just want to actually uh compare this to a previous podcast that i did i think a couple of weeks ago now about small business investing so small business investing is what ibrahim was saying about lifestyle companies you know small-ish companies i mean you can you can grow them um you know if it's a shop you might open another you know another shop or two but it's never going to be this kind of Big, massive, billion-dollar company. Um, so it's very different world that we're talking about uh, when it comes to startup investing. When it when it comes to small business investing, like I said in the small business podcast, you can pick those companies up sometimes for like two times net profit. Um, that's a very, very different world from this. And the reason the valuations are so different is because exactly because of the potential. Um, and frankly, when it comes to startup investing and valuations it really doesn't matter that something, uh, you know, a founder is valuing his business at 5 million when you think it's only worth 3 million or 2 million. Because, frankly, you're not in this for, you know, a 50 or 100% return, you're in it for, you know, 10 times, 20 times, 30 times, 50 times, 100 times return. So, you know, what's a few million between friends when it comes to valuations in startups? Um, But anyway, to get to your question, Ibrahim,
1: what we look for in startups it, because it's like a it's a zero sum game, isn't it? It's either going, they're going to succeed, and a success mm. looks like more than you know five, ten times return, mm. or they're going to fail. It doesn't yeah. really matter. Exactly, if two million or four million, you're gonna you're gonna win either way, or you're gonna lose either way.
0: Exactly, and also you don't want to get founders backed up when it comes to trying to negotiate too hard, because the best founders will always have somebody else to go to, and you will lose deals that way. Um, and you know all of this stuff is. Uh, thinking and learning that we've been doing over the past couple of years, being entrenched in these deals and trying to get investment into these deals personally. And it's a very, very different world to, you know, negotiating on a property or negotiating on a small business or something It's it's just very, very different. And hopefully we can share some of those insights. Um, So in terms of what we look for and what IFG do in all of this space. um, So first of all, what do we look for? Um, I think one of the really key components that you look for in startups is probably first and foremost, the team. If the team isn't there, it probably doesn't matter how good or bad, actually, the product is, the product or the service or the software, whatever it is, doesn't really matter how good or bad that actually is if the founding team is poor, because a poor team just won't execute. And we've seen that so many times. And it's actually the thing that inhibits most companies is the founding teams don't execute. They can't execute. They've got all the ideas, but no um, you know no execution. It's like you know when when you play football in school, there's always that kid that's really bad at football um, and he's got all the gear, and they say he's got all the gear and no idea. And that's basically what um, a poor founding team looks like. So, that's a really, really, really crucial thing. And what you look for in a founding team is some a team that's proactive rather than reactive, a team that can uh, give unique insights, a team that has a unique ability within the space that they're in to really understand market perceptions. Um, because if they don't have that, then frankly, they don't really have an advantage over anybody else. And ideally, I think what's also quite nice that we found, Ibrahim, is that if a team has actually been involved in a startup before uh, or done something pretty entrepreneurial before, that helps a lot because they've been there and done it. They probably know what failure looks like. They've learned some lessons. You know, People look at failure as a bad thing, but actually when it comes to startup founders, I think failure is not a bad thing at all. So long as it's evident that they've learned their lessons, they know what to do better this time around, Um, and you know there's a stat that most successful startup founders I think are in their early 40s or something and Mm -hmm. there's a good reason for that and it's because experience teaches you a hell of a lot and um, so yeah the founding team is really really important the other really really important thing that many people just fail to acknowledge when they're looking at uh, a startup investment is you need to have product market fit especially when you're a small investor and you're probably investing pretty early on. You know, an idea is fine. You can have a prototype in your hands that looks absolutely fantastic. But has the team actually been out there in the market selling this thing or selling this service or whatever it is? And have you got evidence of people taking their wallet out for this thing? Because if that isn't there, then you don't have a business, I'm afraid. And the third thing that I'll say is there needs to be the element of scalability because that's what differentiates a true potential billion dollar company versus just a lifestyle company or a good medium sized business. Because you won't make the sorts of returns that we're talking about unless this has the potential to be a billion dollar company. And the way you think about that really is just basic, well, it's not basic, but you're kind of guesstimating about what the total addressable market is here for this thing and does this have the ability to really shake up that particular industry so if you think about netflix as an example netflix as an early assumption would have said right if we get this right then potentially we've got the whole world i mean everyone watches tv so we've got the whole world to target but if your idea was i don't know um targeting people who make doors, I often refer to doors in my podcast because it's the thing that's my right-hand side. Um, If your startup is something, is a service that targets specifically people that make doors, well, that's great, but there aren't that many people that make doors across the world, so it's unlikely that you're going to have a billion-dollar company on your hands. So just really kind of basic understandings of world, um, I suppose, economics and buying economics helps you in terms of trying to figure out the total addressable market any other thoughts Ibrahim?
1: Yeah agreed on all those things so I think to summarize what you said you you said the market needs to be big Um, you said the team needs to be strong you said that there needs to be a product market fit as in you know there needs to be a prima facie case for that product that thing that they're selling Uh, you know there needs to be a, a demand for that and uh, the only other thing I would add to that is that there needs to be some level of uh, defense here. There needs to be some level of like a mort like quality, uh, mm. some level of a potential to become a monopoly, because um, that's where the mega returns always are, where you can conquer a market and become a monopoly. And mm. uh, in, in this market, wherever there's money to be made, um, the, the monopoly always ends up taking all of the profits. So, um, think about, uh, let's say, Google uh, in the search engine space. It's just really hard to think about a company that's going to knock Google off that top peg. Yeah. Uh, I know there's a few Well, like even Google. Microsoft
0: can't do it with Bing.
1: So... Exactly. Uh, Microsoft has its own monopoly in, in their own space, but mm. to knock another monopoly, it's incredibly hard. And the, and the reason is because so you're looking at three, roughly three kinds of monopolies or roughly three kinds of Uh, big defenses that will just make it very hard for anyone to compete with you. Number one, it's network effects. So when you get to a certain scale and you have a certain amount of users, a certain amount of traffic, a certain amount of other people. So like in the case of Google, everyone's on there searching and all the companies are on there uh, advertising. right? So when you've got that kind of ecosystem, it's just very difficult for a company to come along and say, I don't want to go on Google, I'm going to go on DuckDuckGo or Bing or something. Uh, Even though those guys still get billions of searches a month, but Google gets like trillions of searches a month. It just makes sense for you to go there. And there's a big pull. So network effect is really important. And Facebook is another one. Right. Why did Facebook succeed, whereas MySpace didn't? Part of the reason is because Facebook got to a critical mass. So many people were on there that you just had to join Facebook rather than anyone else. So network effects is really important. The other Amazon's
0: another good example of that, where you know you've got a a business that doesn't actually do anything fundamentally exciting. They
1: sell stuff. Um, How you know it's incredible, frankly, how they've achieved what they've achieved. Agreed, agreed. And and because they've got that great platform, great footfall, um, every every vendor wants to go there and sell their stuff there. Yeah. Uh, So uh, so that's one. The other one is. IP. So you need to have really, well, you don't need to, but if you do have really strong intellectual property, great technology that will take a lot to, you know, reproduce uh, from scratch elsewhere, then, you know, you're onto something because people, it will be difficult for people to be able to compete with you on that. And again, the likes of Google have that with their uh, search engine um, tech in the back end, or people like, um, uh, you know, even Babylon Health, for example, because of the stuff they've done working on this technology. They've got a great product there. Uber have, uh, you know, a great, you know, technology, but even more than Uber, perhaps someone like Tesla have, have strong technology that makes their, you know, defense really strong. Um, the, and the other um, thing that I would say uh, is economies of scale so if you can see you know tesla is a great example of this yes when you're producing batteries and when you're producing these car parts at scale you can really drive the cost down and when you drive the cost down you can a make a bigger margin and b bring the product into the market market range of your average consumer and once you do that then you know that's a massive market and you go from being a tiny company to someone that can address a huge market and a potentially massive multi-billion pound company. Uh, So those are the three things that I look for, network effects, economies of scale, um, and uh, great intellectual property. And usually in these technology companies, uh, you know, startups are often technology companies. You're probably looking at uh, network effects and intellectual property because uh, economies of scale doesn't really factor in. Uh, when you know the you're not really creating an actual product. Uh, Mossin, mm. to wrap up, I thought it'd be good to you know let people know you know where can you find these startups and what does Islamic finance guru do in this space?
0: Yeah, so you know kind of referred during this podcast to us having learned lessons over the last few years and really been involved in this space. Um, basically, Ibrahim and I have really got our hands dirty um, in this whole space. Um, we Alhamdulillah, we're now at the point where we get probably, I'd say, between three and five really good introductions a week. Um, And the way this startup scene works is that you've got things like public platforms like Cedars, which people might have heard of, where you can go on and you can browse startups that are raising money. But the thing with startups is it's like anything, um, including property, where the best things and the best deals are not public they're not on the market they're kind of done in closed circles they're done behind the scenes and that's how it is that's how it is and that's how it always will be because the best things don't go public and it's always been the case whereas when it comes to this sort of stuff startups a lot of your good deal flow will come from just people you know and being known in the market as somebody that has capital ready to deploy or has connections to people um, that have capital ready to deploy. So as a result of that, as a result of the networks that we've made, as a result of all the work that we've been doing, as I say, we now get, I would say between three and five uh, good connections a week, people coming to us for interesting startups. And I would say as a, you know, taking everything as a whole, probably 95% Ninety-five percent of the stuff doesn't really make it through our filter. Um, what you know, what we then do with all these connections is we have a think about them. Um, we'll have a call probably with about fifteen to twenty percent of them. Um, you know, they're the ones that we kind of like enough to take it to a call, having looked at all these things that we've just talked about, um, and you know, maybe thrown a few ideas around with some of our industry friends that might be in that particular space, and 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 done that sort of initial due diligence on the companies. Um, have a call with them, meet them, get to know them a bit, because that's a really critical element of understanding the founding team. Um, and sometimes, as as we said, you can really love the product, you can really love the service, but the founding team, you're just not really buying them. Um, you sort not of think they're they're good enough really to pull this off, and, and they'll fall out of the filter that way. But the ones who do make it through, I would say are about 5% of the companies that, that we get. Um, and then what we then do is we're happy to, link them up to, depending on the size of the deal, uh, it could be our high net worth contacts who are always happy to receive good uh, startups their way. Um, Or we, you know, we've we've got a list on IFG uh, of smaller investors uh, who want to, you know, they want to invest maybe five or 10 grand in startups and we'll flick it around and we'll say, look, you know, we're investing in this. We really like it. Uh, If you guys uh, want it, you know, we, the has reserved X amount for us. Um, and we're in a really nice position now where, because we've got this really good synergy, um, we've got a company, You know, we did one uh, last week, um, where we got high net worth to invest uh, a million quid. And as a result of that, we managed to secure for our smaller guys, uh, 100 grand worth. And that meant that we could just go out to our list and say, hey, look, we've got 100 grand of this particular company uh, reserved for us if you want it, stick your name down, we'll send it across. Um, And that's exactly what they did. Um, And it it just means that that deal, it just wouldn't have been out there for our smaller guys. Um, And it means that we can add some value to our, our smaller list, which is absolutely fantastic because that's what we want to do. We want to basically democratize this whole space because it is kind of a privileged space that we've been able to access and break, not just through our professional careers, but also through our offline networking. So yeah, that's, that's basically in a nutshell what we do. So if you are someone that's interested in startup investing and you want access to these interesting deals that we can get hold of, then drop us a line, uh, Mossin at IslamicFinanceGuru.com, Ibrahim at IslamicFinanceGuru.com. Uh, let us know how much you're, you're up for
1: and inshallah we'll add you to our list. Sounds good to me, Mohsin. Um, and I think that kind of wraps it up for us today. Maybe in the future, inshallah, we'll do another podcast where we kind of do a real kind of post mortem of of a deal of a you know company that we liked, why we liked it, um, and you know really analyze uh, the whole thing, and then possibly it could be one of our companies, and then we'll get the, maybe the founder on to um, have a chat with us as well, so you understand you know the kind of caliber of founder that we're investing in, um, and you know get your kind of you know you could do your due diligence as a dry run um, using that podcast. Uh, to get a sense of you know, what kind of thought needs to go into all of this stuff. Um, what do you think, Mohsen? Should we do it? Yeah, sounds good.
0: Sounds good. We should plan it out, inshallah, and um, get it done. But yeah, let, let us know if, if you'd be up for that, or if there's anything else that you guys want to see us do um, in, in this whole space, then get in touch with us. I was really happy with the response that we got from the Small Business podcast. So just thank everyone for that. Um, so, so you know, same request here if you're interested in it and you want us to do stuff on it um, get in touch with us um, whether it's adding yourself to the list um, or, or if, you, if you don't want to add yourself to the list just yet but you want to kind of encourage us to do more content on this, then please do get in touch letting us know what you want
1: yeah you can, or you can tweet us as well if guru dot uh, that's it at if guru yeah if
0: guru or Instagram at Islamic finance guru um, Facebook we're on there so yeah, get in touch with us on social media.
1: Yeah, we're on, we're on, we're on everywhere pretty much. Yeah. And um, last but not least, do um, you know subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done. Um, share it with a friend, you know, just one or two friends that you think would be interested in this, would find this in uh, relevant for what they're up to. Um, and JazakAllah um, Khairan for um, you know, coming, coming on this journey with us all this, all this time. Jazaka Wa
0: Salamunaleykum.
1: <laughs> Wa'aleikum.